Hello. I hope you've been doing well. Uh, in this uh, session, we're going to talk a little bit further about neural pathways. I've got a review graphic for you here, the first one that says neural synapse. You've seen it before, but it's a good quick visual review. There's two good links there that can take you to more information at uh, Khan Academy. And this is from Wikipedia. The main thing to show you is just to review that we have nine pipelines of data that flow into anybody's brain. And the way that the brain and, and the body, the brain controls the body through chemical and through electrical impulses and signals and um, uh, returned signals <laughs> is um, through, uh, I tried to explain it like line segments. Um, the, this, the axons only go so far. They don't go all the way to the end. You see that little inset there where you have a gap and you need neurotransmitters to jump it and let it keep going. Keep the thought, keep the impulse, keep the reaction going. So um, do more investigation at these links uh, and on your own study of what all the, um, the dendrites and the axons and the, the whole transmission system is in the body, it will really blow your mind. Okay, so let's talk now, a click, and go on to the next one, and let's talk briefly about a picture I drew for you. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be quite impressed. Building consistent and dependable neural pathways. All right, so when a child is born, a neurotypical child, or more to this case, are kiddos of learning differences that would have inconsistent neural pathways, habits, trials, right? How they've done it before. So you can take it either way. If your kid's neurotypical and you want to look at it that way, great. Um, mine's number two. Okay, so what we would have is at some point in time, the, uh, the child's brain will prune, uh, the theory goes, at two and at teenage. Um, some kids are born with too many connections and some are born with too few. So right lobe, left lobe, and then that uh, chunk in the middle, the column colossum. Um, so you've probably have heard of left brain, right brain. Oh, there'll be some examples of that coming up later on. Left brain is typically the logical, kind of like Spock stuff. The right brain is typically, stereotypically, um, creative, right? And lots of color and abstract paintings and bright sh music and things like that. All right. So if the dendrites are too plentiful or not enough, then you're going to have inconsistencies in data transmission. Think about just the, the stuff's not getting through the pipes at the right time, at the right order, in the right synchronization to have neurotypical reactions, behaviors, answers, um, responses. So let's look at the bottom half of the page there where you've got a wider band of great inconsistency. So let's say your kid stems. And so one time he stems, pick a path. And then each time it's something different. So you have a lot of variation. Or how about how they speak, how they say a word, how they sound out a word. Or what if they choose one behavior one time, and then the next time, not consistently, they'll pick a different behavior. So one time you can get in and out of target bathrooms, okay. And the next time, all oh, hell breaks loose, right? So you have a wide variety of reactions. 
my kid, for example, thinks it's great fun to tromp down, the, let's say, the hallway at church, right? So he's tromping down the hallway, and he knows he's got me over a social barrel because you got adults looking at you, right? And then they're, what if they're making even invisible judgments about what your kid should and shouldn't be doing? Um, <laughs> why are they getting away with that kind of stuff? You know, uh, and so we've just developed over the years because I've been trained by the world's best teachers and therapists is that it has to be done right each time. And so let's say he's starting to pull my chain, right? So he's, he smirks, he laughs, he tromps on ahead, he looks back over his shoulder, expecting me to have some kind of a reaction. Well, I've learned, I just stop. I just stand there. And we've backward chained this, and there's lots of blog posts about getting them to become a boomerang, right? They go out and then they realize, all right, it's not, this game isn't going to work. Mom's not moving. So I'm going to have to go back to her and then we're going to go do it right. So by the time he returns to me, he's got a big smirk on his face and he knows exactly what's going to happen. Kid is, the kid's not stupid. He just wants to test. And if you have developmental delay, well, you know how cooperative a two-year-old can be, right? So what if parts of your child, they may be approaching teenage, but what if they got some two-year-old parts and some three-year-old parts, right, in the, 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 the symphony of developmental delay? All right, so back to the church in the hallway, and I'm just standing there. Or let's say we're out at a retail or shopping or wherever we are. I've learned the smartest thing I can do is stand there with a smile on my face to other adults. If they look at me and I'm freaking out or I've got a really grumpy look on my face or I'm fuming and steam's blowing out my nostrils, then they're going to wonder what's wrong. And there might be more judgments or certainly I'll get myself bent out of shape. So if anyone establishes eye contact with me, I smile and I say, yeah, we're just working on our social skills. And without exception, everyone smiles back and says, yeah, right. So as long as I'm not hot and bothered by a bad behavior choice where he's just testing boundaries, he just wants to know if I still love him enough to hold those boundaries. As long as I don't get down in the gutter with him, then it's fine. And my attitude stays where it needs to stay. So I just stand there. I don't even look at him. I might, out of the corner of my eye, take a peek to make sure he really is coming back. But I have stood there for three minutes, four minutes. So it's kind of a waiting each other out. But don't cave. Just hold your boundary. So anyway, back to my son and the example. He'll come back and he knows I'm going to say this is the right way to do it. We do it this way every time. So the point to this example is that look at that bottom half of the page where you have so much variation. We're trying to prune back, trying to squish those together. We're trying to normalize them. We're trying to make them more standard, more predictable, right? We want them to look more like the, the pile of, neuros, uh, of neural pathways on the top half of the page it's where they've been pruned. They're more consistent. You can kind of expect a, maybe a tiny bit of variation in behavior, but really for the most part, they've they know what they need to do. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times. Oh, I don't even need to say it. I just need to look at him and smile because he knows he's trying to play me like a harp. And the idea is, you know what to do, buddy. Just do it. And if I find myself saying that, if I hear myself saying that, I just try to zip it because he'll provoke and he'll poke and he'll try to get me engaged in his rules. And I never win those. I could not tell you how many arguments I've lost 
with a nonverbal child, right? <laughs> so you just don't get into renegotiation. There's, that's not how we do it. This is the way you need to do it, the right way, and we'll get it done that right way. We might even go back and do it again because the whole point is I want to fade away the ones that aren't working for him, the ones that will not serve him when he gets to be older, the ones that might look cute when you're three years old, but when you're 23 years old, it is not going to look cute. So we're trying to extinguish those, and it's, it's what his brain will do because we're practicing. We're picking the one or two best ones, and we're going over them and strengthening them, making them thicker, making them more predictable, making them the one of choice each time, and then the rest of them will prune out, will die away. Okay, so that's a little bit about that slide. There's lots of other examples, but just for the case, uh, I'll just here we go. Let's move on now to the, the page that says blow in, blow out. So here's another example of when John was younger and Rosemary Slade, bless her heart, um, occupational therapist, registered state of Texas, pediatric with uh, approaching 20 years of in-home and um, uh, uh, ECI type services to, to all of us families. So there's some tools she's using here because we realized that John could not blow out candles. He could not blow in or blow out on command on purpose. Now, he might accidentally breathe, right? <laughs> um, but it might accidentally cough. But as far as purposefully, all right, blow in, blow out, blow out your candles, he didn't understand what that is. So he's really had his challenges of motor function, of motor planning of even bilateral, midline crossover. We'll get into these terms, and of course, you can always look them up somewhere else. In this case here, I want to show you how we trained him to learn how to blow out his birthday candles, which I can tell you now at age 13, he can do. So that's pretty awesome, you know? <laughs> All right, so in the first picture, um, there's uh, that ball has got a name. I should have looked it up. Hollow... Hollow, Hollowerth, Hollerich, H-O-L-L, H-O-L-D-E-R. Anyway, it's a name, it's got a special name where you, you collapse a ball and you pull it out and it makes this giant looking atom kind of a thing with all the orbitals. And so you can use it to show compression and expansion. You could use it to show how your lungs work, breathing in and breathing out, it, how a molecule expands, how a balloon blows up and deflates. It's a very useful tool. You can also use it to play catch with, right? Because it's just there's nothing not to like about it. There's nothing not to be intriguing from a sensory, tactile um, standpoint and visual impact. It's a cool thing. All right. So she would in the first case, first picture there. You see her behind him, and we were working on breathing out. So it's two part lesson. What's out? Breathing out expansion, and then what's breathing in? So you have to have the two of them together. So here she is standing behind him and she'll she'll talk about blowing out and she'll pull the ball out to its full expansion and then breathing in. So he's getting a what we call an education, a multimodal approach toward it. He's seeing it and he's feeling it and he's causing it and he's hearing it. All right. Another one of that, if we're kind of expansion, so breathing out, right, the expansion of the lung. So here, this the one where he's making the bubbles, right, in the other corner. So he, this is a, two, uh, a piece of Aquarian tubing, and the, recept the cup there has got some soap in it. So the idea is he's got to breathe out, 
um, through the um, through the tube and expand the water in the cup, and then he can see, he can touch, he can hear, he can feel the air coming out, blowing air in the bubbles. Right, now, then we got a, the one with the uh, balloon that he's blowing up, the picture in the center, the bottom center. So she's showing and demonstrating the, the, the Holderich ball going out and in, and he's trying to breath match her with that balloon. That's just one of those really long, easy to blow up kind of balloons. The idea is on command, can you breathe out? On command, when I say breathe out, can you do it? If I say blow, can you do it? And in, instead, he would kind of spit a little bit or or the air wasn't go. There was <laughs> there wasn't much passage going through his mouth. His lips were so tight, it just sounded like a little bit of sputter and then nothing ever happened. So anyway, teaching this was a trip. So as the, eventually we got with, with the motor planning and the overcoming the oral defensiveness, all right, and we talked recently about the trigeminal nerve and where a lot of that oral defensiveness can come. It's sensory integration uh, malfunction in the trigeminal and the data is not getting to all the right places at the right time. So why would I blow out? Why would I blow in? It's the whole thing is way too scary and it doesn't fit together. So I'm just not going to do it. Or I'm going to do it in such a shallow fashion that you don't really see the, you know, you don't, you're not getting anywhere with the candles if you're barely blowing or barely inhaling. Now, that expansion of the lungs, remember that when we get to um, pinwheels and vagus nerve system. Because Miss Rosemary recently taught me something new about um, how you can trigger the vagus nervous system to, to for the good trigger in the very best possible way using a pinwheel and breath control, which also then meanders into mindfulness. So you see how these topics just all fit together. It's nothing is siloed off. Okay, so now there up in the top right-hand corner, you got a kid that finally can figure out blowing out birthday candles. And so all of a sudden then birthdays become fun instead of something to feel bad about yourself. Because those little kids, they're way smarter than we give them credit for, okay? Can we just all agree on that? And so if, if a two-year-old child is self-aware that they can't do the candle thing like all the other kids that they see, then they don't want to go into the birthday rooms and they don't want to get up in the sensory jumpy things and they just feel bad about themselves. They may be sensory averse or sensory seeking. We talked about that. Um, but they are so self-aware. And so what's, what are they going to do? They're going to avoid or else they're going to attack, right? So if you're sensory seeking, you'll just jump into it with all fours and you'll just smash the cake and, and distract people. Nobody's going to be thinking about candles when cake's all over the floor. If you're sensory averse, you're going to just refuse. You're going to just back up. You're going to get away from that cake. You're going to be back in the corner and your friends are going to be the one that's, your friends will be the ones that will be blowing out the candles. So if your child is one way or the other, there might be a prediction of some behaviors to come or that you may have already seen. Um, another point there on that breath control, you see where I got it, like motor planning. So motor planning means that as the body needs to move, you can purposefully do it. You're in control of it. You, you can do a jumping jack. To this day, he's 13 and his jumping jacks are, forgive me, laughable. So I videotaped all of our taekwondo, our karate, I show them as a demonstration of, here's a child that's not trying to game the system. He's not trying to not do it. 
but to save his life right now, from a pure sensory standpoint, uh, the brain and the body working together, he does not do jumping jacks that look like yours, all right? And his, any of those calisthenics do not, now they're getting better. There was a time when you couldn't really even tell what it was supposed to be. Now you can get a pretty good guess at it. The more we practice, the better he is. The more we do our martial arts, the more we do our basketball, the more we do our bike riding, the more we do our chores, the more we cross midline, the more we practice with one half of the body what the other half of the body isn't doing. So bilateral movement. It might be the left side is doing one thing and the right side is doing the other. That's one midline crossover. The other midline crossover could be, so the first one we just said was um, left to right. All right, so that would be like right down the middle. Um, east and west, if you want to consider it like a compass. Another midline crossover is north to south, so right at the waist or the equator. And then you also can have the front to the back. So depending on um, how the child is moving and where movement is not taking place, if you know what you're looking for, you can predict midline crossover difficulty, which goes back to a brain function. You can say, okay, this kid is not crossing midline. That means we're going to have some sensory integration issues. They, there's research that says that someone who's knowledgeable can look at the way a baby is rolling or not rolling, stretching or not stretching, and they can predict um, primitive reflex uh, troubles or not. More on that later. All right. So just to stay here with the, the concept of um, visualization, right? You see that word, which means that multimodal, which means you're trying to reach the kid in, in multiple ways because we're not sure exactly how each child learns all the time. And it's not just one cookie cutter way. So when I said that you have, that he feels it, he uh, hears it, he sees it, he might taste it, he might um, all those types of learning, kinesthetic, audio, visual, there's many of them. So visualization is helping them see the concept, link that to the learning, and then link it to doing it. So cause and effect, right? So the cause of the effect of blowing out your candles is a happy feeling. Okay, so that's going to be worth the effort to try to learn how to blow out those dang things in the first place. So abstract learning can be, you model it, you see it. It could be that um, we call that near transfer, far transfer. So in a, in a, if you're, you're duplicating something in a similar situation, that's a near transfer. If the child can repeat or match in a similar situation. If they can go do some, if they can match or, or model what they just learned in a very different environment, that's far transfer. And that kind of then will help lead to the abstract learning where they can take an idea and mold it and morph it and make it into something new, different that's of theirs. So uh, let's look at an example of that. Near transfer would mean that um, I'm, I'm drawing a circle on one page with a marker and then they give me a different kind of paper and some crayons um, in the same room, they change just a few things, maybe put me at a different desk, but for the most part, I'm still drawing circles with something on paper in a classroom, near transfer. But I can still do a slight variation to it, right? It doesn't have to be exactly the same thing, which that's why move out of ABA as soon as you can, you know, as soon, <laughs> a little bit goes a long way and life will not um, be ABA real life, the kind of life you want to have for your kid is going to 
is going to take them into social chaos, is going to take them into constant variation and constant adaptation, where they're going to have to just be flexible and roll with the punches and figure out some new way to randomly uh, deal with whatever happens to them. All the natural consequences of life are, is not ABA, okay? All right, moving on. That's my ABA sermonette. Um, far transfer, um, let's say, so I'm sitting in the classroom and I'm, I'm drawing the circles with a, with a pencil and then I go home, I'm on the bus and I draw different shapes, but they maybe, um, um, draw gears or I make gears out of Play-Doh or I do something where you, you have a little bit of the same kind of stuff, but it's really more all new variation. Okay. Anyway, don't mean to belabor the point. Um, okay. So uh, that's just a little bit about neural pathways. They're precious. They're plastic. We, as long as you, anybody's alive, the brain still has hope and variation opportunity. Um, the brain can work around, right? If part of the brain is damaged, then the, there's been some amazing recoveries and rehabilitation. Um, so the brain is uh, always way more than we could ever imagine it is. Consistency is important and for the kids to realize why they need to do something. And so that's why the birthday candles is such a good example, I think, why I chose it, is that just to look at those bottom three pictures, the kids going, why am I bothering? But if you realize, oh, I want to be able to blow out my candles. Another example, so we've been watching Karate Kid, this the remake, not the classic, but the remake the one that has Jackie Chan in it. And I swear we're watching it like once a week. It's so good about repetitive motion and motor planning and um, good manners and respect. So if you've seen the movie, you know it's this little kid and Will Smith's and Pinkett Smith's son, and he's brilliant in it, but he is the, the minor player, the teacher, Jackie Chan, you know, who is so famous in martial arts. And here he is, the kind of the old um, uh, uh, handyman, that uh, the understated handyman, but he's brilliant. Um, anyway, so he hasn't put his jacket on, off, take it off, put it on, take it off, put it on, drop it, pick it up. So he, days and days and days of this stuff. But what he's doing is building motor planning, muscle memory, which is why kids do form in all the different martial arts. The form, the, the practice, the it looks almost like choreography, but there are motions that will be used in either self-defense or performance, and you, you do them often enough so that you don't think about it, and it becomes so automatic. It's like us that drive for years and years and years, right? And so we kind of just muscle memory through a lot of our driving. More than once, I've tranced out. And then wake up about 10 miles down the freeway and I think, man, I was not aware that I was driving. I was driving and the brain was on autopilot, but I wasn't present. <laughs> Wherever my head was, it wasn't on the freeway. So, okay, thank you for your time. I hope it helps a little bit. I try to make these entertaining as well as cheerful and hopeful and, and lots of pictures and um, always more to learn. The world's filled with great teachers and models and websites. Um, so let's keep sharing together, okay? All right. Take good care. Talk to you next time.